His name is synonymous with research, in particular research about the church and Christian worldview. Now, George Barna has authored more than 50 books and conducted more than a thousand surveys, including the American Worldview Inventory. Now, this morning, we are revisiting a conversation with George Barna about his research on worldview and what we can learn from that as parents and what he has learned about millennials. George, welcome to the conversation. Good to be with you. So excited and looking forward to today. I've got like a gajillion questions I could ask you, but we're not going to get through them all, of course. Always love to start out connecting with our guests as just brothers in Christ and hear a little bit of their spiritual journey. How did you come to know Jesus? Actually, it was through getting married. We had to go through a premarital counseling session. Through the course of that, we were kind of driven out of the church where we did the counseling to realize, yeah, you know what, this just doesn't seem right. And that sent my wife to be and I on a search for God. That really led us to asking all of our friends, where do you go to church? What do you think about faith matters? And eventually we were led to a small Bible teaching church that was meeting in a a school gymnasium Mm. out in the sticks. uh, It was the first time we'd ever seen anybody actually open the Bible and just teach straight from the Bible. And we thought, this is really cool. And eventually, you know, the pastor and some of the deacons came over to our house and told us about faith in Christ and salvation. And we bought it. And here we are. (laughs) Well, you know, obviously you were amiable to things of faith because it didn't take a whole lot to get you on a journey of trying to connect with a real life-giving church. But what changed? Obviously, you came to know Christ. You heard the gospel in the way you hadn't before. What was different? What changed? Well, I think it was really being exposed to more content from the Bible. The church that we had been part of previously all our lives, really, was one that didn't spend much time teaching directly from the Bible or trying to get us to read the Bible, Mm. that was never really on the agenda for the people in the congregation. Mm. Once we started opening it up and reading it, and and to the pastor's credit of that church where we came to Christ, he said, look, first thing I want you to do is get a Bible, open it up to the book of John, and just read it every day, every Mm. day, every day. Mm. And each week I want to be able to talk to you about what you're reading and what, what questions you have. And, you know, I'd never had anybody do that with me, so I thought, wow, this is a real gift from God. That's really what led us down the right path. There was never any question in my mind that God existed. I didn't know a whole lot about who he was, what he was like, what he was up to. But, you know, I thought, well, if we can't find out, maybe he's not real. But we found out, and it's changed our life. George, you've done lots of surveys and projects and researches. Out of all those, what's one? I won't ask you what's the one, but what's one that impacted you personally the most? You didn't go into it looking to be impacted, but man, as you did the research and things kind of popped and truth revealed itself, man, it really impacted your own life personally. Well, I'm going to change your rules a little bit because this was a survey (laughs) that I did go into hoping to be impacted, and it impacted me much more than I thought it could. And that was uh, what turned out to be the longest lasting and the largest survey I've ever done. I was really frustrated with why aren't more people's lives being transformed by the Christian faith. 
is God still doing this? And of course he is, but it's like, well, where's it happening? How's it happening? And so did this big project on life transformation. The bottom line is that over the course of several different surveys, I wound up interviewing over 17,000 people across the country, Hmm. tracking their life journey spiritually, tried to figure out who's been literally transformed by their relationship with Christ, who hasn't, who doesn't even know that that's a possibility. And in comparing all of those, found out that there's a 10-stop journey that everybody can go on, but God doesn't force us to go any farther on that journey than we want to. The thing that really jumped out of that study for me, looking at those 10 stops on the journey, was stop number seven which is brokenness. Hmm. Americans resist brokenness with all their might. And the church doesn't do anything to intervene, typically. We allow people to push back on brokenness. But the reality is Jesus was broken when he died on that cross, taken on our sins. And much like that, each of us needs to be broken of sin, self, and society, because those are the things that stand between us and a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God and a greater life of service to him. For me, that was a real life changer because I had to sit back and examine my journey, look at whether or not I had dealt with brokenness, and I hadn't, and realized, you know what, these people that I'm ruining the fact that they haven't done what they need to do to get deeper with God, I'm in the same boat they're in. So I better retool what it is that I've been doing, rethink Mm. my own journey. That's really changed quite a bit. George, I'm curious, kind of I'm thinking current, like a current number. What number scares you the most? What what number gives you the most concern that's a kind of a current relevant number? The fact that only 6% of adults in America have a biblical worldview. Mm. Everybody has a worldview. That's 100%. But we have the opportunity to choose different worldviews. Nobody that I've ever interviewed, and I've been doing worldview research for probably 25 years now, and have interviewed tens and tens of thousands of people about their worldview. I've never yet found a single person who has a pure worldview, no matter what their worldview is, whether it's you know, modern mysticism, secular humanism, a biblical worldview, Marxism, postmodernism, take your pick. I mean, there's probably a good two dozen different worldviews you can choose from. So nobody has a pure one, but we all have a dominant one. Hmm. And only about 6% have a biblical worldview as their dominant worldview. And a worldview is simply you know, your philosophy of life. It's the grid through which you gather information, interpret it, and respond to it to be the person that you want to be and to try to make the world what you'd like it to be. That's an incredibly low number. We know that it used to be higher in the past because when I started doing this research, it, it was double of the current number. But as I look to the future, we find that only 2% of millennials our youngest adult generation have a biblical worldview. So clearly the culture is moving in the wrong direction. That's probably the thing that scares me the most. George, we started talking about worldview here a little bit and that alarming statistic that only 6% of our country would really own a dominant Christian worldview, 2% of the next generation, which is super scary. How likely is it for a person 
worldview to change? Well, it doesn't happen very often. Based on the longitudinal research I did, tracking people's worldview over the course of many years, what we discovered is that a person's worldview, because you need it to survive, it's the thing that helps you to make every decision that you make. Your worldview is that filter through which all your decision-making options pass. And based on your worldview, you choose one of those options. What we find is that that worldview begins forming at 15 to 18 months of age and is almost fully formed by the age of 13. Most people will die with the same worldview they had at age 13. It may have changed very slightly on the edges, but typically you get it, you develop it, you work with it, you refine it a little bit, but you don't do a wholesale change. It does happen. And usually that's when God's Holy Spirit gets a hold of somebody and begins that radical transformation of their life. But more often than not, it doesn't happen. So that's why one of the things that I tell parents is you've got to understand that the single most important thing you will ever do in your life is to raise your children up to be spiritual champions, to be followers of Christ, to be real disciples of his. doesn't matter what your job title is, doesn't matter how many square feet you've got in your house. What matters is what's going to happen when your children stand before a holy and righteous God. The more that you can do to make sure that they have a biblical worldview that enables them to think like Christ so that they can act like Christ, that's where success lies in your life. George, as we're talking about worldview, you just made a few moments ago a really uh, sobering encouragement and challenge to us as parents to make sure that we are establishing a Christian worldview within our the lives of our kids. We want to, right? I mean, typical Christian parent would say, yeah, I want my kid to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to live for him. Uh, I'm going to say it negatively first, I'm, and then we'll get positive in a moment, but let's go negative first. What are we doing wrong? Where are we missing it? The biggest challenge to us is not to let the culture raise our children for us. As I look at what influences Americans to think what they think and do what they do, the most dominant influence in our culture is media. So it's the messages that we absorb under the guise of entertainment or under the guise of news and information that lead us to believe the things that drive our worldview. That's a big one. Government laws is a big one. You know, a lot of people say you can't legislate morality. Well, of course you can. That's all the law is. Mm. Morality simply means being able to distinguish right from wrong. And the law is designed to tell us what's right and what's wrong. We reward what you do that's right. We punish what you do that's wrong. Between the media and the government, those are huge influencers on how we raise our kids. On the media front, any thoughts that you would have on moderating that? Like it's like age appropriateness of when I would allow my kid to be exposed, how much, what kind of principles would you recommend? I kind of go with the three M's. You've got to minimize their media exposure. You've got to moderate it, meaning you have to know what they're being exposed to and explain to them what's right and wrong from a biblical point of view. Then you've also got to mediate it, uh, you know, help them to have other choices. I would suggest that parents not be buying kids every new technology under the sun Mm. and letting the kids use it at will. We know now from brain science that the more time you spend with modern technology, it literally rewires your brain circuits. 
that's a scary reality, and we've got to take account of that and say, is that something that I want other people doing to my children without my even realizing it or knowing what the outcomes are going to be? Do I have a responsibility to protect my children from that kind of outside influence and interference and to make sure that they're really being exposed to good stuff? So, George, we talked a few moments ago about kind of what we're doing wrong as parents, and maybe those things are we're not monitoring enough and managing enough our kids' intake of media. You mentioned those three M's, but are there other things as you think about families that you've seen that you would just go, man, they've done it right, and it's really helped establish a biblical worldview. What can we do right? What are we doing right as far as really establishing that Christian worldview within our kids? Well, let me quickly suggest three things. One is that people who wind up having a biblical worldview typically grow up in a house where the parents thought of the family as being a church. Mm. And if you recognize Mm. that a church basically is an accumulation of people who love Christ, who love God, want to know God, serve God, then yeah, family qualifies as a church. So for the parents to see themselves as the pastors, the priests of that particular household changes the whole way that you think about the interactions and the activities of the family. Being able to spend time reading and studying the Bible together, praying together, worshiping God together. Most American families never do those things together. They rely on an outside organization, a local church, to take over that function for them. But it's very different when it's done that way. So seeing the family as the primary community of faith for the children is one thing. Second, we found out that when I interviewed young adults who had become real champions for Christ and tried to figure out how'd you get there? What'd your parents do that's different than what other parents did? The thing that everybody, both the parents and those adult kids focused on was the consistency of the parents in how they behaved, how they spoke, what they believed, how they modeled different lifestyles and values and beliefs for their kids. Consistency over the course of a long period of time was important. And then the last thing also has to do with friends. What kind of friends do you let your kids hang out with? Because they're going to be driven to take on the characteristics of those that they hang out with. So it's important that you know who those other kids are, that you know about their families, and that you watch carefully to make sure that these are the kinds of kids that you want your own children to be influenced by, because they will be influenced. George, obviously, there's lots of commentary on millennials these days. I've heard more and kind of felt more dialogue than probably any other generation. I'm curious, as you think about millennials, What really encourages you? Well, I think number one is this is a group that really does want to make a difference in the world. They don't accept things at face value. So they're going to challenge everything. They want to get it right. And they invest themselves in that process. The difficulty, of course, is if you don't have a biblical worldview, you're you know, outcomes that you're striving for may be different, uh, probably will be different than if you had a biblical worldview. But the good news is they care. They're energetic and they want to leave the world a better place than they got it. George, I'd love to have you speak to millennials. What would be your word of kind of warning in a sense? I mean, we talked about the positiveness of them and their desire to really make an impact in our world, which I totally see that. What would be your caution 
you know, speaking directly to millennials, what would be your caution to them? Yeah, I would say don't necessarily believe the line that we hear from the media, the mainstream media all the time about faith, about many other things in our nation. You know, the research shows me that millennials are driven to redefine Christianity. And I would encourage instead that millennials go back and read the scriptures. I mean, really take time to study them and understand what Jesus was all about and to do the best you can to replicate his life in terms of your respect for and relationships with people, in terms of your enthusiasm for investing in and having positive influence on the lives of others. Life can be a great challenge, but it can be a great ride, too, if you understand that Success is about consistent obedience to God and to His ways as outlined in the Scriptures, and that really we're not here for ourselves. It's not about happiness and accumulation. It's about knowing, loving, and serving God, and that's what gives us real joy, which is a few levels higher than happiness. Mm. So if you focus on those things, uh, it'll make life that much more worth living. Well, George, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and sharing some really practical insights for us as families from your research. You have really opened our eyes to some of the cultural trends in America today. All right. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me.